Hello, I'm Rachel Sandbrooks. I'm a writer and comedian, and this is the Stand By Your Nan podcast. I've been a wild rover for many a year, and I spent all my money on whiskey and beer, and now I'm returning with golden great store. to episode 7 of Stand By Your Nan, Nandy Warhol. It's all about how my nan discovered art in her older age. This episode's a little bit different. Instead of interviewing a guest, I ran a workshop on storytelling for older and younger people with Hoban Community Association. I work there as a creative writing tutor and I recorded their stories of grandmothers. It's amazing to think how workshops like these were never freely available before, but now they're a mainstay of access to the arts. Keeping arts alive is really important to me, and I hope it is to you, and that you really enjoy listening to the shared stories from our participants. But first, all about Eve and my nan's lifelong dedication to education. There's quite a long history to my nan Eve's lifelong love of education. She didn't have much education as a child. In the 1920s, a working class woman wasn't expected to have anything of the sort. She read quite a lot, but it was mainly art books and spiritual new age tomes. Things such as You Can Heal Your Life, Colour Healing, but also Marcus Aurelius Meditations. She never gave up learning, seeing it as a gateway to a full life. In her 50s, she had the chance to go to a place called Attingham Park in Shropshire. It was one of the first adult education colleges, but they ran some very strange lectures, things on heraldry, mediumship, but also creative art classes. She went along with her friends and then later to a Wednesday art class at Bourneville Art College where they didn't really do any lectures on mediumship. But she did manage to build up an archive of sketches and paintings that filled the walls of her house. She collected so much artwork in the box room upstairs. It was piled high like a documentary on hoarders. You couldn't even open the door. She kept her pastels and pens in grandad's cigar boxes piled up in the back room. I still have some of them, but she wouldn't let me touch them, so every time I open the boxes, I feel a little bit naughty. So she'd started painting when she was about 55. Years later, I visited her, and she greeted me at the door with more enthusiasm than usual, which for her was a lot of enthusiasm. They've given me a degree! All I did was turn up to do my painting and now I'm a graduate. She'd left school with no qualifications but after many, many years her art college had become part of the university and her class was accredited. She got a degree in fine arts. After about 30 years, she was 88 years old. I remember one of our last conversations we ever had 
was in the back room next to the cabinet of nice things and plates that we weren't allowed to touch. And she'd stopped painting by then, but she still liked to look outside at the garden that she'd nurtured most of her life. After the usual tea and chit-chat and a fairy cake, of course, she looked at her garden and she said, You know... I wanted to be an artist, but then I realised something. My garden is my art. Everything I do is my art. In fact, if we're all creators, my whole life is art. That was very deep, I have to say. Hello, I'm Janet And I'm just going to talk about my grandma, who I can still remember, whose name was Emily. She was born in 1875. And when I knew her, she lived near us at Potter's Bar in a bungalow filled with stuff, paintings, clocks, water jugs, And I remember watching her boil a kettle on a metal ledge that she would swing into the coal fire and then reach out to get it with an ovened glove. And she seemed to like sitting in the dark. When Grandpa died, she moved across the road to a maisonette, a new build behind the Ritz Cinema, and they called it Ritz Court, a grand name for a tiny flat with Marley tiles and noisy neighbours. When I was eight and she was 80, I turned up one afternoon with a cake my mother had made wearing shorts. And she put the cake down on the kitchen table and told me very disapprovingly what she thought of little girls wearing things like that. She also had things to say about women with red fingernails, but my mother was in complete agreement there. Red nail varnish was only worn by prostitutes. It didn't look quite nice, did it? Well, actually, I think it does look nice. I always wear it. Oh, well. I suppose that's just a generation thing. Now I'm older and I see young people wearing things I don't like, I try to keep my opinions to myself. Hi, I'm Anna Chiara, or Anna for short. And today I'm going to talk about my granny, who's called Anna Maria, and I'm partly named after her. She lives in a little town near Naples, and she's part of a group of people that go on lots of different day trips, hikes and things like that. And she's very lucky because she lives in a beautiful place where she can visit both land and sea. What I mean by that is that there are lots of little mountains and really big hills around where she lives so she can go on hikes and pick some mushrooms and in the summer 
um, we will go on a 25-minute drive down to the beach. So she has the mountains and the beach quite close to where she lives. In COVID times like these, when she obviously can't go out and do her usual activities, like going on hikes, visiting new areas, going to the gym, etc., she likes to sit on her little balcony with some nice warmth from the sun, or maybe a little blanket if there's some breeze, and just knit, do some crosswords, read a book. And they also have, well, my grandparents, um, my grandma and my grandpa have a cat, so sometimes the cat likes to sit out on the balcony with her, keep her company, you know. And um, so in the afternoon she does that. She also likes to cook, and whenever I visit her during the holidays, she always has something cooking in a pot or something ready for me to eat on the table, and we sometimes even cook together. So I always have some very nice yummy um, memories of my grandma. Okay, I'm Barbara and I'm going to be talking about my grandmother Nellie, who I didn't really know very much about at all because my family were very secretive about their backgrounds. But after my father died I started digging and did a bit of research into Nellie and found out that she lived in Dedham in Essex when she was very young and she was the product of two families who got together when um, a, a mother died and, and a father died so she was from a household of 18 children and they lived in, on a farm um, but it was, I think they, they were very, very poor and she was probably born in the 1880s. Um, so my father was born in 1913 um, and he was one of the younger of the children. So what I do remember about her is, is going to the house where they lived in Peckham when I was very little. And she'd married my grandfather, who was also from a farming community, and he was, um, he was a labourer, but he also worked with horses. And he moved to Islington to work on the horse-drawn buses. And again, I didn't know any of this um, until I started doing the research. So I was, I was really surprised that my grandfather actually lived in Islington, and I also live in Islington. Um, so a real coincidence. Uh, but going to my grandmother's house, my grandfather's house, when I was very little, I remember going in the front door and there being a very, very tiny hallway and being ushered into their sort of main room. And I say main room, but it was so tiny that the dining table took up most of the room. So you had to edge around the table in order to find a seat. And my memory is that my grandmother would usually be sitting in the corner of the room on, on a sort of a, a, a box, not exactly, it didn't look like a chair, but she'd be sitting there. And she was very deaf, so 
anything my grandfather said was, was a shout. And I was quite terrified because I was never sure if they were having a fight or arguing or, or what was going on. And of course I was too young to ask. So Nellie, I'm not sure what kind of a life she had as a young woman, but I imagine that being on a farm, it must have been really hard for her. And then coming into London and marry my grandfather. But the house was, was two, a two up, two down with an outside loo. And when we went there, I remember that my sister's job was tearing up newspaper into squares, which was then threaded onto a string. And that newspaper was then hung in, in the toilet. That was the toilet paper. So that was her job, and I'd be fascinated by this. My mother didn't like going to the house. She felt that it was a bit beneath her. She was a bit of a hyacinth bouquet. But they still had gas lighting, so when it got dark, the match would come out and they'd light the lamps and fiddle around to get the right amount of light. And there was also a, a crystal radio set in this room, which took up a huge amount of space, which is um, just, I, I didn't know what it was at the time, but later on I learned that's what it was. So in this tiny house, there was my, my uh, grandfather, my grandmother, and four children, and they also had a lodger. And the children were born as, as two separate families almost, because my grandfather was um, off in the First World War, so they had two children, and he went to war, and my grandmother was left to bring up those two children, and had another two children. It must have been really, really hard, and I, I just hadn't really appreciated what a difficult time they must have had with no with no dole, no government assistance. And they were poor. But in all this, they still kept the one room at the front of the house, which they called the parlour, for best. And nobody ever went in there, unless it was Christmas or a birthday or a christening or a death, where whoever it was would be laid out in that room. So I, I, I kind of... I have this feeling that I would like to have known Nellie because she never, she was never heard and she was really never seen in my memory anyway. Um, hello, my name is Sian and I'll be talking about my grandmother. Um, my grandmother was born in a small house in Cyprus and when she was a toddler, maybe coming into like teenager maybe, she moved into London and she got married to my grandfather when she was 21 and my grandfather owned a food store and she um, ran a little clothing store and then about Ten years later, she had my father and my uh, 
uncle, his brother, and when she, uh, when my uh, granddad was about 44, he died in 1986, and in 2019, um, my grandmother went to visit her old house in Cyprus, and it was very uh, crushed and broken, and she said, um, you wouldn't be able to like restore it or live in it. And then she just tells me more if I in depth every time I visit. If I'm just wondering. And yeah. Thank you so much to Hoban Community Association, to the participants that took part in that workshop and to Hazel and Chloe for helping me put that on. It was really special to be able to share those stories with you. When my nan died, um, she'd collected a lifelong amount of bric-a-brac and not so many people wanted to take away the new age stuff. So I held on to some of it, books about colour healing, her yoga books, a jade statuette of Confucius that she had on a shelf, and costume jewellery that I played with as a child, which I thought was treasures, and now it looks like tangled bits of old plastic. And in the cigar boxes that she'd kept her art materials, in one of them I found cassette tapes with titles of New Age lectures on that were handwritten. So she'd obviously done a tape-to-tape recording of them, things like Consciousness in 1962 and The Work from 1950s all in her handwriting. She'd sat in her room and borrowed someone else's tape and recorded it at exactly the same moment, click record with two tape decks, sit quietly so it doesn't pick up any sound. And I listened out to hear whether she'd recorded herself speaking, but she didn't. However, I could hear her footsteps in the background. And I could hear in one of them the brush of her paintbrush onto canvas and a very slight sound of her humming along. What I wouldn't have given for her to have spoken, but she didn't, maybe not feeling important enough or public enough to record herself. So all I have is footsteps and the memory of my nan. But she did give me a voice by inspiring me and telling me these stories and showing me that it was okay to be weird. Thanks, Nan. Stand By Your Nan has been written and performed by Rachel Sambrooks, co-produced with Steve Keyworth and with music by Lewis Barfoot. It's a Gertie Words production funded by Arts Council England. No, no, no.